This is Audience of One, and I'm your host, Spencer Kier. This podcast is a venue for me to explore my curiosities through combos with leading thinkers and builders. My guest today is Travis Jameson. He's a serial entrepreneur and investor. Among other things, Travis owns an SEO agency, a holding company for cash flowing businesses, and an online investing community and newsletter. Travis and I talk about how he got his start, all things investing, and what the macro game is he's playing in life. Please enjoy. This is so silly, but uh, one of the hardest things I always do all the time is, be, you know, you're out somewhere, just like talking to like non-business people. They're like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, shit. Um, <laughs> so my background is I just, I build a lot of businesses and I've sold a few of them. And now I just kind of like allocate capital to whatever makes sense. Like that's the, the simple version. Um, and I don't know how else to explain it. Does that make sense? That's the really simplified version and downplayed version, uh, but but that's fine. We'll we'll let you get off the hook there. <laughs> one of one of your uh, your early, I think maybe your earliest kind of big entrepreneurial ventures was a series of dietary supplement supplement businesses, and you've continued to build those out over the years. Why did you start here? Why did you like that that business that product so much? Yeah, so I think um we're on the sixth supplement brand i think right now um wow. so I, I started there just because like it's what i knew um i'd been obsessed with like supplements and human betterment uh since i was young i mean like age of like 14 15 reading like you know dumbed down medical journal or basically abstracts uh stuff just just for fun this is this is before like the body hacking thing was cool um because I'm, I'm older uh <laughs> And yeah, I, I just kind of like fell in love with it. I'm like, why would I, I could be me or I could be a better version of me. Why would I not go for the better version of me? And so I, I did that. And then when I'm like, you know, learning how to build businesses and stuff like, you know, the four hour work week was like my Bible, like it was for so many people, like my generation. I don't think, I don't think the people starting out anymore really get as much from it. But for me, it was, it was everything. And uh, it was basically a blueprint of how to make a supplement company. It's like, oh, okay, well, this is what I know. This is like a blueprint. Let's, let's do that. And it went from there. And, and to be clear, like the first one was not some massive home run. Uh, I was very happy when it was making, what, like three grand a month or something. I don't even remember exactly, but something like that around there. Um, but I was, I was just thrilled with that at the time. But in aggregate, that niche has has served you very well. Yeah. So I, I took the first one and I sold it. And then, you know, a couple of years later, it's like, I have these other ideas. Let's create another one and then build it up bigger and then sold them. And then just kind of went from there. And now, now we've got uh, kind of a health holding company with two brands under it and a third one being launched soon. Incredible. So that's on the kind of physical product side, uh, physical product slash e-commerce side. You also had a successful SaaS business, which was your first big exit called uh, Amazon Tracker, AMZ Tracker. Can you talk us through how you arrived at that idea um, and then what it took to grow it to the point where you were able to exit? I've I've always been a big uh, search engine nerd. And, you know, uh, after my supplement company, first supplement company, or almost at the same time, I, I started an SEO company. Uh, and so I was deep into that. And when Amazon FBA kind of popped up and became the cool thing, you know, I already had supplement businesses. And so I naturally went to Amazon to try and sell more and it was working, but 
Amazon's just a big search engine and kind of figured out real quick, like the tools that exist for Google don't exist for Amazon. Let's build those because uh, I actually needed them. I mean, it was like, this is the most basic stuff, but you think like, you know, you have your website and you're using like a rank tracker to see where you rank on Google. That didn't exist on Amazon. <laughs> so I was like, every day I was, you know, searching the keywords and, and like going through like, oh, page three. Okay, this. And then, so we just kind of started there. Uh, now, and you know, what started as just a rank tracker developed into a much bigger, more in-depth um, company with all kinds of features and two-sided marketplaces and all this crazy stuff. But uh, that's just kind of started from from that simple idea. That's why I was the name AMZ Tracker. Like in retrospect, I could have done better with the naming, but it like made sense at first. Like you're just tracking the keywords. It's very straightforward. You, you know <laughs> yeah. what it does. Search now is, is ubiquitous. So you look back on that and you're like, obviously that's a thing that should have existed. But at that point in time, it didn't. And it, it was uh, re revolutionary. Um, you, you mentioned you're an SEO nerd. Uh, you spent a lot of time um, in, in the search business. And you started a, a SEO agency that I think initially was called Supremacy is now called Smash Digital. Um, yeah. In earlier combos we've had, you've told me that if you were to hold on to a single business, it would actually be this one. Why do you like this business so much and maybe this agency model more generally, especially given the scale and marginal reproduction cost of something like uh, AMZ Tracker is so much better? All right, well, to be clear, and I don't think my SEO team would think poorly of me for saying this. Like if I could snap my fingers and have another AMZ tracker, like I would, um, you know, rarely does a company print as much money as that thing did. Uh, but those are kind of like unicorns in a way. I mean, they're not, not a billion dollar company unicorn, but like unicorns is in finding them. Uh, they're, they're, I don't know if I can do it again. I really don't like, maybe that was my one big home run and that was it. Uh, and maybe they, they, another one won't come around anymore. Um, so, you know, that, that, that's absolutely great if you can do it. But also, like, even SaaS in general, overall, it's not the same as it was even then. Like, SaaS is way more competitive. The margins are lower. It's, it's so much easier for a competitor to spin up in, like, a weekend um, and be there. So, I don't know. what Before, you know, our margins were, like, 90% or something. It was just something, it was, it was insane. It was insane. Um, that wouldn't really happen anymore. But back to your, like the original question, uh, there's a few reasons I like the agency so much. One is I just love SEO and I always have, it's kind of like, how can I beat the system? How can I, you know, kind of hack it and like figure out my way around it. And so to figure out my way to like beat the Google rankings, it's just, just a fun intellectual exercise. Uh, I mean, at the time it was just, I just want to make more money. Let's like get to the top of Google. But like now that I can look back, it's, it's just a fun thing to do. Um, so I like the topic. Uh, I love the people I work with, uh, like really, like we have, you know, call every week and I just look forward to it. It's, it, it's very fun. Um, and the last is, it's just the business model itself. Like services get shit on a lot, uh, and some of them rightfully so, but let's look at like an e-commerce e business. So e-commerce business, like our supplement business, we have an idea for a product. We put together a formula. We hire a, our PhD to like, you know, put, put it together and check it and stuff like that. Then we get quotes and manufacturers for a couple months. And then we give the manufacturer a bunch of money and they make it. 
And then like maybe three months later, we get the product back. And then we spend a whole lot of money to launch this product. And then hopefully within a year, we've sold through that or, or how a year to sold through that. And now we've gotten enough of our money back to reinvest in the next batch. At no point did I say we take some profit off the table, not once. <laughs> now, um, and, and this is our version of, of the e-commerce, you know, there's different ones. Uh, but now let's look at like my SEO company. Uh, there are, there, first of all, there's no single points of failure. It's like, we're not dependent on Google traffic. We're not dependent on ads. We're not dependent on Amazon platform. It's just like word of mouth, basically. And maybe we sponsor a couple things a year. It's just word of mouth that's built up over the time. Uh, when people come on, they give us money and then the team does stuff. So you, you can see like the cash flow differences right there where one company, the cash flow is pushed out a year at least. Uh, this other company, it's like immediately, um, you know, every month I just pay myself out. It's, it's glorious. Um, so like the, the business model that makes, makes loss. And not all service businesses are that easy, uh, but this one is just built up. So it's, it's rock solid. Um, and I think it, it will really like stand the test of time. So we've disrupted our own business several times with, with how to do SEO. You know, the SEO of 10 years ago is not the SEO you do today. Uh, and, and so we're, you know, constantly disrupting that to improve it. Looking forward. Um, and I know you've been dabbling with AI a bit. You have a post on chat GPT. Um, how do you see AI impacting SEO in, in two different areas? One is how common AI generated content is now, how easy it is to generate. And two is the way in which we search. Um, so being able to, to work with a chat bot instead of using classic Google search. I like to say like, I'm very, very unsure about any of this. I don't really have strong opinions on where it's going to go or how it's going to change us. Uh, eventually it will. I mean, these, these are pretty hard problems. And of course we're seeing now that uh, basically all the chatbots are having a lot of problems, like when they're implemented into search. Uh, I assume a lot of this will be fixed over time. How long the time? I don't know, but I think that, that the chatbots work really well for like certain types of queries and other types they won't, you know, like pure informational queries that you're just trying to like find a quick answer. Google makes no sense for that it already doesn't. Um, and maybe some like deep research where you're not really sure what the answer could look like. Maybe like the, do the back and forth with the chat could really help, um, narrow that down because you're having conversational stuff. Um, but a lot of stuff, I, I think just general search is, is going to be really hard to beat. Um, cause you don't necessarily want an answer. You want like a variety of answers and to like make your own choice and stuff like that. So you can look at it that way. I, I don't know. Um, in terms of the auto-generated content, like it's big, it's real big. I don't exactly know where it'll go. Um, Google, you know, came out and said that essentially like, you know, AI content is fine. Um, I don't see how they're going to be able to stick with that. It, it's just going to turn into such a mess. Like the whole internet could just be disrupted with just trash content that you can't trust. And cause these, you know, the AI, it sounds so confident in their statement, but it's, it can be wrong. And um, I think I you, no you inevitably keep lowering the average quality of content, right? Because you're the, the training data 
is more or less the mean of what's out there today. Yeah. Uh, and you just keep injecting more of that content. And so it also creates this opportunity for high quality content, uh, which I think you're seeing, but yeah, I'm curious to see how it plays out as well. So even though I'm an, S I'm an SEO, I don't, I don't really like affiliate sites that all that much. Um, like these niche ones, it's just never really been my thing, but I, I, so much of it is just trash on the internet too. You know, you search like best, whatever, and you know, best robot vacuum cleaner and out of the top 100 sites, 98 are going to be garbage. Um, just like the SEOs have done, but let's take the, the wire cutter and I'm sure they have problems, but when I go to the wire cutter, I mostly trust the results. Right. And so a lot of times when I'm searching something, I will search, you know, best, whatever wire cutter. I want to see what they say. Cause I trust them. That type of stuff can build up and become something of its own. Um, and of course, not everybody's going to know the wire cutter, but because somebody like me is going there and giving them credit and Google and the search engines will give them more credit. And so more people will see them. And so stuff like that, I think I, I am not against people taking shortcuts to make this AI content to make your buck. Like I'm dabbling with it. It's an interesting thing, but long-term, like the better, more authentic stuff, uh, like is not just purely keyword optimized, but real stuff, it will win, in my opinion. In addition to Smash Smash Digital, um, and maybe this actually doesn't sit under your holding company, but you have you have Smash VC uh, that owns stakes in a variety of small cash flowing small businesses. How did you make that transition? How and why did you make that transition from entrepreneur to investor? It wasn't like a and big aha moment that just happened all at once. It, it kind of like naturally happened. Uh, one, so, so I've sold a lot of businesses, but I don't really sell much anymore. I mean, unless there's just like a ridiculous price, but uh, I just kind of collect. But, you know, you, you find out real quick that I don't have enough time <laughs> to do this stuff. And it's, it's not like I work in any of my businesses. You know, I'm the, I'm the owner and like, you know, I manage a little bit of stuff, but like, like I work in them, but the, the mental bandwidth it takes, like in theory, I work an hour or two a week on my SEO business. I work an hour or two a week on my supplement business, but like the mental bandwidth of like thinking it, it's just much, much larger. You can't really quantify that. But so I found really quickly, like, you know, this doesn't scale. I don't scale. Um, and so let's look at you know, just allocating capital to these things. So it was, it was a natural progression. And then like, you know, the, the smash VC side of like buying the minority stakes, like that was just my perfect thing. So I've always in, internally my, my perfect portfolio. In fact, I'll tell you like my ideal portfolio is to own, you know, maybe like 10 or 20% of 30 small businesses. That's perfect. That's, that's bulletproof. No matter what happens in the world, you're, you know, most of them will survive. Someone will thrive. Someone will drop. You know, COVID was a really great example of, of that. Uh, but small businesses, like, I don't, I don't care what the, the value of them are. Like, if you look at a stock market, you know, it goes up and it goes down. But, like, what's the value of the business? What's the intrinsic value? How much is it the, the, the company actually making, regardless of the stock price? So, I, I don't really want to look at that. But, like, small businesses, you know, I don't care what the value is. I care, like, how much is it paying me out? Um, that type of thing. Uh, and so if I can build a portfolio of 30 of those, then it's pretty bulletproof. And small businesses overall make the best cash returns too. 
um, you know, maybe it's not Google or Facebook, but like overall, like, you know, you can get 30% yields on a lot of these. That's insane. That's batshit crazy. Imagine getting a 30% dividend on a stock. Come on. And of course, stocks, you know, the price gets built up. And, and then with these small businesses, you know, I think I can sometimes add value uh, that helps them as well. So I'm not just like just taking, um, you know, giving some as well. Smash VC is unique in that you're not just holding a particular class of assets. Uh, I think you, you've invested in a plumbing company, but you also have Smash Digital. Is, is the reason for that exactly what you just said a moment ago? You kind of want to avoid this Talebian black swan event. Uh, so you want to diversify as much as possible, or is it more you're interested in these different things? You just see an opportunity and you want to take it. Uh, I, I would say both. Um, yes, I am trying to avoid like the black swan type thing. You know, like I'm conscious, like I have enough Amazon FBA exposure. I don't need more. And so maybe I'll, unless a deal is just a magical, I, I'll say no pretty easily to those. Uh, but at the same time, like, you know, when I go to venture types of conferences or like, you know, angel investor types of conferences, stuff like that, they're like, what's your thesis? You know, what does your fund do? Which I don't have a fund, but you know, like, and I was like, I don't have one. And I think that's in general, kind of silly to have to have a thesis. Like I want to allocate capital to whatever makes the most sense in front of me. I'm going to take all the options. I'm going to look at all the options and then I'm going to allocate capital to the best looking option on a risk reward and energy reward basis type of thing. Um, and, you know, like thesis based investing, like makes sense if you're, I don't know, like say somebody's a, I don't know, like a DeFi investor or something like that. Like they need to be in that niche and like understanding everything about it and building a reputation. Fine. But that's, that's not me. You mentioned DeFi. You are not just an investor in small businesses and a variety of small businesses. You uh, have talked pretty frequently about having a barbell strategy and investing in general, where you have these cash flowing businesses uh, on one end, and then you have kind of these, these riskier investments, if you will, around, I think, particularly angel investing and crypto. Has your involvement in crypto been purely speculative from the get-go, or did you, or maybe do you actually believe in the promise of blockchain technology and decentralization to radically improve humanity. Oh Lord. I can actually talk a lot on this. Um, I think let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get into it. All right. I think early on, I believed in it way more. So I, I was involved, not involved. Like I bought Bitcoin quite a long time ago in, in the early days, uh, kind of like bought a little bit of the thesis, not completely, but I would buy it. And then like, you know, I sold out. And then a couple of years would go by and I'd buy more. And then like, nah, 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 I'd, I'd sell out. Um, and then finally, like, you know, several years ago, I got back in it again. And I always saw the thesis as a possibility, really. Um, and when I talk about the thesis, I mean, like, the, like Bitcoin in particular. And kind of like, I guess, I guess you can say ETH as well. You know, Bitcoin being essentially decentralized money or as it kind of shifted to like decentralized store of wealth um and eth is kind of like you know decentralized computing basically but that's that's all changed completely in in my head uh like all the promise of bitcoin has been thrown out the window more or less like the big inflation hedge 
like that failed miserably. Uh, there's Bitcoin only works when everybody thinks that it works. And it's the exact same as gold. Like gold's not any better. It just has a much longer track record and, you know, some, some like governments own it. So there's, you know, something behind it. Like that's it, but it, it works exactly the same. Um, all this stuff only has value when other people thinks it has value. Uh, and we're like a business or a productive enterprise is not that it has value because it generates income, uh, you know, and you don't really care what the value is because it's generating this income. And so that will, it will kind of work its way out in the end. Um, now for the ETH based stuff and, uh, you know, we'll just say like DeFi in particular, uh, I had a lot of discussions about this and, and DeFi was very good to me. Um, you know, if you were involved in like 2020 and, and beyond, like the amount of yield you could print was just insane. And the amount of token appreciation was just insane. Uh, but it was, I, I never like let it fool me of what it actually is. Like I, I kind of always realized it's just, it's just turtles all the way down. If you like know that expression. Um, so we talked about, like I gave a presentation about DeFi, um, about like how, how do your yields? And I was focusing on like earning yields on stable coins, which is, you know, like 30% yields and stuff like that. I was like, how the hell do you get like basically 30% interest on your USD more or less? Uh, and we talked about these these platforms of like exchanges and and how how could they afford to pay the yield? They could afford to pay the yield by here's your little tiny interest rate for people doing exchanges, your little tiny fee, and then the rest of it would come from them minting their own token. And minting their own token, you would then sell at the market price and take that that cash. Now, why did this token that you minted have value? It didn't really. Like some of these platforms would kind of figure out interesting kind of like I'll, I'll call it Ponzi games. I don't actually mean that in a negative way, but it is what it is. They would find interesting Ponzi games to, to make people want to hold more of the token to like pump the value. But it, it was, it, there was never anything built on actual substance. There was never anything built on anything generating cash. And some of these platforms would generate plenty of fees, but you, you go up or down, you know, another turtle or two, and you're going to see there's nothing there. It's all like, oh, this speculative token has value. And so we're going to securitize it and we're going to loan it and, you know, add margin to it and all do all this stuff and trade it. And because we're trading between this one speculative to another speculative, we're going to take some fees off of that. And so there's where like regular finance has, has all this bullshit as well. It has the exact same bullshit, um, sometimes worse, but at its core, it's commerce underneath, you know, there's, you know, the finance is securitizing and lending and doing all this stuff against like real business productive assets or, you know, non-productive like homes and real estate and stuff like that. Where with crypto, it's just the finance part without the core stuff underneath. And so when I was playing the game, it was with the understanding of what that is. And if, if I can put in this, put in my money and earn this yield in, you know, magical Smurf coin, um, then and magical Smurf coin is worth, you know, five bucks a token, then it's worth five bucks a token. Like, I don't care that it's fundamental value is nothing. Um, but I'm not going to hold it. I'm not going to drink the Kool-Aid and sit on it and stuff like that. So there's my crypto rant. Happy to dive into anything else you want on that, but. Are, are there any use cases? Or, or problems you're still holding out for crypto 
to solve that would have massive impact? Good question. And again, I'm not an expert at this stuff. I'm just a guy who plays on the internet. But I think there are two real use cases for crypto. One is decentralized gambling. I think it's a really good one. Whether that is the actual, um, you know, decentralized casinos and stuff like that that exist, uh, or just people wanting to, you know, speculate on tokens and stuff like this. Uh, I think that's that's an actual real use case that you can't discount. People just want to, you know, speculate. And the other is decentralized money, which is kind of what it was supposed to be before, you know, at the beginning. Uh, I think this makes a lot of sense. You know, you have wealth stored outside of a system that anyone can really confiscate. Um, I like that. It doesn't mean it's a store of value. Like it doesn't mean that Bitcoin should be worth 25,000 or 100,000 or 2,000. Like, I don't know, but it is still a thing outside of that. And, uh, you know, as long as stable coins can, can maintain themselves, uh, they know that's, that's an awesome thing to have. And it's something that I personally like, you know, to have this, these funds outside of the system, but you know, it's, it's less important for me. There's a lot of people in, in, in countries with sketchier stuff going on that that can be super important. Um, so I think, I think that is a real use case, uh, but that's not in a super elaborate one. Like all these other things of like putting those things on the blockchain, I don't think it's very efficient. And I think centralization is, is a good thing with a lot of this stuff. Uh, maybe not a good thing, but at least not an evil thing. Um, and there are, there are problems with it. One of the common, I guess, ways that people say that, you know, what I just said is wrong is, you know, the government's printing all this money they're, uh, which they are, they're devaluing the currency. Yes, they are. And I don't know where it'll end. It'll probably be messy, but I don't think crypto really solves that, um, for two reasons. One, you don't hold wealth in money. That's a terrible place to like store wealth. You store wealth in productive assets. You know, if you want to be super basic, you store in an index fund, uh, and, you know, it'll go up and down, but like they're productive assets. And so eventually it'll, it'll catch up. But then also just because a math program says that there's a finite amount doesn't really give credit to it having its value. Um, you know, I can fork Bitcoin and start it right now and it's, it'll have 21 million, but it will have no value. And of course it doesn't have the miners securing the network, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I get it. But it, just because there's like computing power and securing power there doesn't mean it has a value to society. It only has value because everyone thinks it has value. I want to get back to small and medium business investing. Um, you've invested in tens of businesses and you've probably analyzed hundreds more. What are the key qualities you're looking at both in companies and people when you make a, a decision to invest? So could actually rewind just a tiny bit. So before I was doing like buying minority stakes, I was buying whole businesses and that's really hard. Uh, and I, I feel like I learned a lot, actually Dom Wells of Onfolio, you know, he just recently posted a tweet, something like has a friend who didn't really learn how to buy businesses well until after their fourth acquisition, you know, this is their words. And, uh, and I basically commented like, yeah, same. The things I learned with those types of investments, um, one, it has to be large enough to have a team of its own. And most of these small businesses aren't like 
the vast majority of small businesses are like the owner is the business. Uh, and that's a, that's a problem. I mean, if you're trying to scale, like if you're just trying to buy a job, then that's a great thing to do. And I think people can do really well with that. Um, but, but otherwise it doesn't scale. Like, you know, I bought a few businesses and I was like, Oh, I'll just put somebody on it or, uh, you know, we'll hire that. And then it just didn't really happen. And I never really lost my ass. I haven't really lost my ass on anything yet. Knocking on wood. Um, but they didn't go as well as they could have, or just kind of fizzled. Um, that's actually just the team is, is the biggest one. I think that is the biggest one. I, I also think that because most own, like businesses are the owners, anytime I buy one, I expect it to like decrease like 20 or 25% immediately. And I have to build that into the price. No one ever does that. And they're like, oh, I'm going to pull this lever and like grow it and pull this lever and do, it'll do great. And like, it just never does. I just, I never see it. Or maybe like one out of 10 times do I see someone really grow a business that they buy. Uh, and so a lot of the deals I, I go into, um, you know, the, people are always talking about, and we're not going to talk about like, the funds and stuff like that. I meant, uh, you know, they're going to buy these businesses and then grow them. And I discount every bit of that, every bit of that. I'm like, what do the numbers look like if you just hold it and maintain it? Uh, which can be fine. You know, if you're buying a business, that's a three to four X and you're just maintaining it, you know, you're having to pay the owner a salary, um, or like the manager a salary and then it's still a pretty good yield compared to most stuff. Um, and then if you get any growth, that's just a bonus basically. And as for like the, the minority stakes types of deals, I don't really know if I have a hard set of criteria. I, I do like companies that like I almost only in, invest in companies that are already profitable and, you know, can generate uh, some sort of dividend at least in theory, maybe they choose not to, maybe they choose to reinvest for a bit, which is fine, but they, they can. Um, I don't like turnarounds. I don't really like speculative stuff right there. So as we talked about earlier, like the barbell stuff, I have found the, this, this, like the worst place to be in like the small business space is the, the middle ground with that. So that's why I was like, if I'm doing a speculative investment, it needs to be a company worth, a billion dollars if it works out, right? And if I'm not, then I need something already profitable generating cash. It's, it's when you get in these middle ground, these like quasi startups. So like, yeah, kind of a startup, kind of a small business. I feel like that's just kind of no man's land that sounds great in theory, but doesn't really work out uh, based on, you know, my results thus far. Are you familiar with Derek Sivers? Oh yeah. He, he has a great formula for ideas versus execution, which is basically just that ideas are a multiplier on execution. Um, related to that, I'm curious, how do you know when you have an idea worth executing on? And second, when you should buy that idea, you should buy or invest in a company versus you should start it on your own. This is not gonna be the right answer for like everybody. For me, when I feel like I have the right idea is usually when I'm like scratching my own itch with something, all of my best businesses have been when I've done that. And the ones that have been, you know, mediocre at best have been the, the businesses that I think I spotted an opportunity, but it's not really for me. And I go for that. Uh, those tend to, to not be the best, at least for me. And maybe that's because I'm more interested in the problem, or maybe it's because I know the problem much better if it's something of my own. Um, for like, you know, the, the investing, buying and the stuff, if, if you're doing it yourself, um, 
something that I am a big fan of now is like acquiring something small that has a little bit of traction and then using that to springboard like a bigger idea. So like my investing IO community, you know, I bought a website investing newsletter basically. And, uh, it was, it was making money. I bought it for like a hundred grand or something like that. And then, uh, using that springboard into some, something much bigger instead of starting from scratch. Like I have a platform. And of course I took that newsletter and morphed it completely. And, uh, I, I, I think that's a good, it's a good way to do for, for everything. It's a good way to do for SEO, you know, find some little tiny, uh, site that has some traction hasn't really done their thing. You know, if it's ranking on the first page of Google for something, Google trusts it enough and you can take it and then, you know, go from there or expire, like expire domain types of things. There's a rebranding sites types of things. I've, I have like several, uh, high authority sites just kind of chilling with like dummy websites on them, just building up age, making sure Google trusts it. So when I have something I want to go for, boom, we'll, uh, I've got something to go for and you can like rebrand it or you can redirect it. I love the the preemptive uh, domain aging strategy, but I also love the heuristic around scratching your own itch versus you've identified a problem, but maybe it's not for you. Uh, I, I might I might start using that one personally. Uh, I want to do a lightning round, which I haven't done before, um, but, but doing a little experimentation here on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the best. I'm going to list off different cash flowing investment classes. And I want you to tell me how you would rate each of them. And I'm intentionally not going to ask you about criteria. I just want your kind of gut reaction to it. And we'll start with one as a baseline, which we've already talked about, talked about, which is agencies. Uh, six. I'd love to, I, I will ex- elaborate on any of these you'd like to. Um, okay. We might come back around then if, okay. if any surprise me, that one doesn't surprise me based on our, our past conversations. Uh, info products like, online courses these are such five i mean there's great ones and there's shitty ones that's the problem same thing with agency i know it's a lightning round destroying your format i'm sorry but like an agency like the owner can get trapped in the agency pretty easily and it can be a terrible business that they're just barely scraping by or it can be like me where you are the owner and you get out of it and that's a great business but it depends let me let me see if any of these aren't tens to you okay uh communities Oh, uh, I'll give it like nine. Elaborate on that. What is it about uh, communities that you've come to love? Well, if it's something that, if it's a topic of a community that you really enjoy, which most communities owners would, then it's just a great place to hang out and make money at the same time. You know, my, my investing IO community, like I just like talking to everybody. I like the subjects. Um, they're also great margin products. Uh, you know, the, the really only expenses you'll have is someone to help uh, run it, someone to help manage it type of thing. Um, but after that, it's just, you know, you have a, a ve- your, your, your expenses aren't really going to grow with the community. You know, you can do the same with one employee with and a hundred people as you can with one employee and a thousand members, that type of thing. Um, also there's a, there's a, an article I posted on my Twitter, like a you know a couple of weeks ago, uh, and it, it was talking about AI and I think the, it was, what was it? Like the, the internet is a dark forest. If you read, you know, the three body trilogy type thing, the dark forest idea, uh, well, that's where it's popularized at least. And 
it talks about as AI starts producing more and more of the content, both written content and then there's all these like deep fakes, you can't really tell. And it just kind of like takes over everything, then people will stop trusting the internet as much. And they will go in, they'll like go to the underground internet, whether that's like communities are the place as a big spot. Um, communities like personal chat groups or like WhatsApp groups or something like that. They even said like personal like wikis, like notion wikis or something like that. Like just stuff where you, you trust the individual that it's not AI. And so I think it's kind of a, a, you know, pretty robust bulletproof thing. And even like, that's, that's a theoretical, like, you know, the dark force, the internet, but even if it doesn't happen, like these are all really good things like trust and community and individuals that, that just goes a really long way. Um, I think it compounds over the decades too. Not saying that Smash VC isn't uh, big enough today, but do you have any grand plans for it? Do you do you plan on doing anything differently than you're doing today, like an open fund or a marketplace for people to invest in SMBs, or do you want to just keep growing it steadily like you have been? Well, I've thought of a marketplace uh, many, many times and have a lot of the stuff sketched out already for that. Uh, it's just a lot of work to build it. Um, I don't really have a, a partner to help with that. So I had a, a great technical partner with AMT Tracker and I would love to work with him, but he he lives in Sydney and I don't live in Asia anymore. And so it's just like the time is just pretty difficult there. Um, so there's that. But I think one thing I've thought about a lot is, so I, I have, you know, so many pokers in the fire from like different areas. It's pretty complicated. Um, I mean, not complicated, like, there's just so much upkeep. Everything's everywhere. Like how much am I actually making? Like, I don't know. Uh, and so I, I think all along of just putting everything I have, like all the investments, not angel investments, all the investments, all the small businesses, all the partially owned businesses, all everything, and just putting it into a big C corp and just like a holding company and just compounding it over time, you know, a little, little mini Berkshire Hathaway. And, you know, maybe one day I have a little mini IPO or something like that. Like, I don't know. That, that, that sounds fun to like, let friends and family like ride along and play the game with me, but maybe that's the future. I'll see. You've done a variety of things in business. You've built small businesses, invested, taken minority stakes. Uh, you, you've invested in crypto. I, I'm trying to figure out if there's kind of a, a through line or a superpower you've developed uh, over the course of your career. What do you think you're world-class at? What has enabled you to have, to be so successful across different domains? Probably world-class at being lucky really. But, um, <laughs> I think, uh, I think I'm pretty good at sniffing out new opportunities. I think that's, uh, something I've been pretty lucky with. Um, I'm also, I'm, I'm very like optimistically skeptical all the time. Like I'm an optimist with, with everything, uh, but I'm always skeptical and like a little risk averse with stuff. And I think that's a, that's served me well. Um, yeah. I'll, always trying to see what is actually here, not what everyone's saying, but like what is actually in front of me. I'm not sure if this is uh, the most recent statement you've made on kind of your orientation towards the current uh, macroeconomic environment. But I think at one point in the near future, you said you were pretty cash heavy. Um, what is your take on the current environment? Uh, and how are you investing or planning accordingly? It's a, <laughs> it's a weird time. Um, I love to play like 
theoretical macro games. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm such an amateur, so it's not like I can uh, <laughs> give advice on this, but what's the yield on the S and P right now? Not the dividend yield, but the overall yield. It's a roughly a 20 PE. So you're getting 5%. What are treasuries? Literally no risk 5% right now. I mean, choose where you go. Uh, that type of thing. And, and like the, the risk-free rate, you know, the treasury rate is, it's changed a lot of things. So, you know, I'm looking at a, there's a debt deal and, you know, there, there were one to pay 10%. A year and a half ago, 10%, hell yeah. Now, like that doesn't make sense when you have a 5% risk-free rate. And so, if I was to guess, I think a lot of this stuff is not trickled down to the economy. You know, we, we raised rates so quickly, uh, it slammed on the brakes, but I don't think it's trickled down the real economy yet. I, I have to imagine it would, but um, I'm not really betting on that. Again, I'm just looking at what's the best opportunity, risk reward in front of me. And treasuries make a lot of sense. Uh, so I have a lot, you know, a lot of money just in, in that type of cash. Uh, and then I'll, I'll still do deals if anything makes sense. Um, you know, multiples are coming down. You know, I have made some moves in some stocks uh, and I would love to make more moves in, you know, small businesses. Um, thankfully for me, the the multiples have come down, but, you know, I'll see some stuff eventually. Everything we do in life is uh, a game more or less, whether you're playing for money or status or power. What is the game you started playing early on uh, with your early ventures and how has that evolved to today? To today? What are you playing now? A hundred percent. Like the early game was just to get money. Um, you know, I didn't have any, I had negative money and <laughs> I wanted that. Uh, and it, it always, I mean, it's such a cliche answer, but it's true. Like it always revolved around freedom with stuff like that. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to achieve, you know, that freedom. And now it's, you know, business and investing. It's just like a really, it's the best strategy games. It's just a great intellectual exercise all the time. And I, I do get called up in like the, the non-important sometime. I don't want to act like I'm, I don't. Um, I still get called up in the crap I shouldn't. Um, but I like to keep a vision of, of what it is now. Like, um, you know, I just shared like the Mexican fisherman story again, recently. It's something I think about, uh, I still reread the four hour work week, like once a year, something like that. Um, which, you know, probably get some hate now, but it's still very useful to me to like kind of recenter, like, what am I actually trying to do? What are you? Yeah. What are you actually trying to do? Where are you? I know you've also dabbled in, uh, uh, in some stoic and buddhist philosophy uh where where are you trying to derive meaning and, and purpose from now that you've kind of you've gotten through that freedom like filtration event or barrier if you will i mean if you're if you're looking to like achieve stuff it's kind of saying like i'm going to be unhappy for a little bit while i try to achieve something uh until i achieve it and then once i achieve it then my happiness that I get from that will last for like five minutes and then it will go. And and so, I mean, probably half the battle is just literally just being aware of that's what it is. It's not like I can stop it or be better, but just kind of to, to step back and know that this is the game. It's a game. 
Like if, if you realize it's a game, then it's automatically like 50% better. Um, yeah. So I, I'm still going to play the games and I still get called up in, you know, the, the trap of more and stuff like that. Uh, but at least if, at least I'm aware of it. And so I can pull back and not get too far into it. Um, if anything, now I'm trying to unwind the more and stuff like that. Uh, trying to get, you know, simplified. Um, the, the goal is, is not, it's not to not work. The goal is to not have to work. Um, because I enjoy what I do most of the time, but I don't want to have to do it. And in fact, like when I have to do this admin stuff, which there's a fair amount in my life, I'm not going to lie. Um, that's the stuff I hate, but I love creating. I love thinking, I love strategizing. I love like building my castle, my little sand castle of businesses and investments and stuff like that. It's just a fun intellectual exercise. And like, you know, Buffett is such a role model at this stuff. Uh, he, he's been playing the game forever and he's not going to stop until he's dead or like almost dead. And he's doing it because he likes it. He, he's been living this like upper middle class lifestyle his entire life and has never expanded from there. Um, but he also has like quite a lot of freedom. I mean, I don't know what his day to day looks like, but you, you, you hear, they just sits in his office and reads, but you actually talk to people who've spent time there. And he's like, there's no meetings. There's no phone calls. Um, it's just him chilling. Like that's, that's kind of the sweet spot. And, and I'm not Buffett. Like I'm not, I don't just want to sit in a dark room and read reports all day, but to be able to do the type of thing that you find most interesting. Um, you know, I did do the, for years I did the, the digital nomad type thing and which is, which is great. Um, you know, I traveled, I did all this stuff, but eventually for me, and I think for a lot of my friends who did the same, like a lot of it loses some of its appeal. Um, and so you're like, well, what is next? And you kind of realize like, there's, there's not a solution. There's not some grand, like, okay, now I'm free and just travel forever. Like that's, that's not going to do it. Um, but also like now I'm free and I just get to work in my business all day. That's not it either. It's, it's like a balance. It's, it's kind of the freedom to, to go to what is intellectually curious, you know, where your mind's driven to at the time. It's a long answer. I'm sorry. No, that's the exact kind of answer, the kind of depth I was looking for and actually mirrors how I, I'm several years behind you uh, in terms of success, but mirrors my own kind of objective, near-term objective, which is the freedom to not have to work and the option to work on things I want to work on. And if and when I achieve that, then I'll, start thinking about what other game I'm, I'm playing next. I mean, the answer is realizing there's no answer. There's no finish line. Like that's, you realize that. And, and I, don't, I don't have moments of like clarity where I see that. I'm like, ah, mm. and then it just, it's fleeting. It goes away quickly. So that's it. Yeah. Therein lies the, the battle. Uh, so I know we're coming up on time. There's one question I always like to ask everyone at the end, uh, which is, What's one question you'd leave me and listeners with, whether to, to ruminate on, to think about, or to act on? Maybe ask yourself, like, why you're actually doing what you're trying to do. Why are you working towards accomplishing what you actually are? And if you accomplish it, how will your state change? But, like, really think through, like, multiple levels on that. 
not just, oh, I'll buy the car. Like, think of what will that mean? How will that change me? What's the next after that? How long will that last? That type of thing. The last, I think the last three conversations I've had, everybody has proposed a variation of this same question, oh. which is, uh, what do you want or who are you? Like really getting to the root of things, right? Because that's where everything emanates from. So really interesting to hear that, uh, some variation of that posed frequently. Um, and that's something I'm actively trying to think about right now. So I appreciate that. Well, Travis, thank you so much for your time. This has been a blast. Um, and, and looking forward to following along with your adventures and Smash VC, seeing what you do next. Thanks, Spencer. The pleasure is all mine.